Welcome back to another episode of Elvis Reviews, the podcast. <laughs> Today we're talking about, I think the actual full title is Elvis Presley as recorded at Madison Square Garden. Yep. I'm here. Daniel's here. Uh-huh. We're ready to go. <laughs> we are. Yes, we are sorry we're a bit late, but you know, life life happens. Uh, we just keep going. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, this album, it's a its a live, it's a full concert recorded. Yeah. It's not just a mishmash of different random live songs. It's a full show, which is always preferred by me, at least. Yeah, although for years there were so many rumors that RCA had either sped up the songs or rearranged the songs so that side A and side B would work. But I think all of that's I did say dispelled. That. Yeah, I saw lots of stories about it, but I think it has been dispelled and I guess none of that's true. But it is, it's a lie that is perfectly believable coming from the colonel. Yeah. Like nobody (laughs) would doubt that that's something he might have done. No, well, I mean, Ronnie Tut himself, I think, is one of the people who made these claims. Yeah, Yeah, he he thought that had happened as well. I saw that quote. I, I could imagine, I mean, I felt like listening to this, the show felt rushed a little. I mean, we're gonna get into it track by track, but I could see maybe being there, it feeling longer than when you hear it back. It it mm. does have a little bit, it does feel a little bit rushed in at points. We have reviewed the afternoon show before. Yes. Afternoon at the Garden. Um, our very oh, first podcast. Yes, it was ages ago. It was at least a year ago. And, yeah. and I thought, that's so long ago now, I barely remember what we even said. So I thought, it's a good time to do this one now because my brain is so far away from that the other one now. <laughs> right. Well, plus we're running out of other stuff, so... <laughs> Yeah, that too. <laughs> so I've got a thing here. It says Elvis became the first person to ever sell out four consecutive shows at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Sold 80,000 tickets and mm-hmm. made almost three quarters of a million dollars. Back in 1972, uh, that's quite a bit of money. I mean, it's still that amount of money, but, you know, inflation and whatever, they adjust the things. Yeah. I don't know the exact. I, I kept trying to. Everybody knows John Lennon and George uh, George Harrison and Bob Dylan were there. And I think Art Garfunkel. Uh, I was trying to get a list of like all the people, celebrities that were there. David Bowie, I think, might have been there. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read different things and there's nothing I've read that's like certain, except George Harrison, who's like really talked about meeting Elvis after the show and mm. stuff. There were no free tickets. George, John, and Bob yeah. Dylan had to pay like everybody else. There were four shows spread over three days, one on Friday, 9th of June, two on the Saturday, June 10, and another on Sunday, June 11. So are both these recorded ones from the Saturday? I think so, yeah. They're from the same day, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And there was the supporting act, Vegas comic Jackie Kahane. Uh, Right. His act didn't work in New York, I read. They they, They started the slow hand clap. To get him off the stage, which is hilarious that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like Prince opening for the Rolling Stones. It it didn't go well. Just not a good match. (laughs) No. Although the show itself, I mean, the reviews were amazing. I mean, uh, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself to say what a triumph this ended up being. But Elvis was pretty nervous, I think, going into it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you can tell because what? I don't think he'd ever actually played New York. Like he did... Ed Sullivan and stuff years before. Right. But I don't think he'd ever done actual shows and he just wasn't sure how they were going to, you know, take him, mm-hmm. accept him, if they would accept him. Yeah. And see, we're, we're recording this the day after the Elvis movie was basically shut out of every single Oscar category it was nominated for. Didn't win a single one. Yeah, uh, but he won 
everything else before that. <laughs> he did. But in America, there is still this harsh prejudice against Elvis. Oh, yeah. In particular in places like New York and California. And yeah. so that's what Elvis was nervous about then. And did you get around to seeing the movie yet, by the way? Not yet. Not okay. yet. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things they illustrate in the movie is when he, one of the things that happened when he was in New York is he did the Steve Allen show. And mm. Steve Allen forced him to stand still, wear a tuxedo, and sing to a live dog. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And he made Elvis the butt of the joke. And Elvis realized it and felt it. So, yeah, Elvis definitely has a weird relationship with New York. And even though these shows were a huge triumph, that attitude is still around today. And that's what I'm blaming for... <laughs> for no Oscar wins for the Elvis movie. Mm. Anyway, that's kind of a little rant on the side. Well, just going back to the thing you said before, I read that, the, yeah, the pitch of the recording, they'd slightly sped it up to fit the entire concert on a single vinyl. And yeah, it's been disproven, I'm pretty sure. It, it, and it, does, it doesn't sound any faster. I mean, we know Elvis performs a lot of songs faster than the studio versions. That's oh, one sure. reason why people think, oh, it's, it's faster. Well, yeah, it is because they played them faster, not because yeah. the tapes were sped up. Um, yeah, it sounds perfectly like I didn't pull out a guitar and check that, you know, this song's in A like it always is, but I'm pretty yeah. sure if I did that, it would be. Right. I think one of the other reasons I found it easy to believe is I never listened to this album because I didn't like the general sound on it. There's a lot of crowd noise. Um, There's a lot of crowd noise and a fair, we'll get into that later as well, a lot every track, not half the tracks, but more than enough to be annoying. Mm -hmm. Elvis sounds like mixed way back. Oh yeah, really And muffled. like sometimes you're straining to hear him above mm -hmm. the horns and the crowd and the backing singers and everything. And it's like, I'm here to hear Elvis. Yeah, yeah. all that other stuff's great, but why can I, why am I hurting my head trying to strain just to hear him? Yeah. And there was that later release, that Prince from Another Planet. I don't know if it's better or not. It's a different mix, but I still don't know if he's mixed that much louder. Yeah. Um, I guess there must be some issues with the way it was originally recorded and where the mics mm. were. And they must not be able to do anything Too more much, yeah. than they've done with it. Or they would have done it by now. Yeah. Prince from Another Planet would have been the, I assume, the best it's going to get. So anyway, the album came out eight days after the concert, which is amazing. I mean, you can do that now with a download, but that's pretty amazing yeah. for 72. Well, we know that the way that was possible was all the artwork and the mm -hmm. sleeve were pressed before the show because the picture's not from the show. Right. So then there was, you know, all that part of it was done. Then there was just the actual vinyl, which I'm sure they someone drove straight from that show with those tapes to the record plant right. to start pressing that vinyl because there would have been a lot of pressings to do. Yeah. And I'm sure fans know that the reason that that artwork was ready is because an album called Standing Room Only was supposed to come out. Uh, Standing Room Only was more or less a soundtrack, I guess, to Elvis on Tour. Which, ah. interestingly enough, has a box set has just come out for Elvis on tour. But this artwork for this album was intended for the Elvis on tour standing room only album. Ooh. They just scrapped the album, kept the artwork, turned it into Madison Square Garden. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's how they do it. Yep. That's how they do it, folks. <laughs> and it reached, uh, what, number 11 on the U.S. charts and number three on the U.K. charts. Yeah, this is the interesting thing. Mm -hmm. It sold very well and mm -hmm. still is one of, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's one of his bigger albums. Yeah. Especially live albums. But I think generally from everything I've read, not that well received by 
your average Elvis fan. You know, there's a lot of other shows they prefer. Mm -hmm. And for many various reasons, this one is not a favorite. And I don't have that feeling. This is just as good as any other live album, I think. Like, I'm not ranking them, but Mm -hmm. tell me some reasons why Elvis fans don't love this album so much. I think it's down to the sound. I think if it was Uh, recorded better and and had better sound and more depth, especially... I think people would have loved it. We're going to get to one track on here that's especially divisive. Oh, okay. And I've got some quotes from George Harrison that maybe will show you where a lot of Elvis fans' heads were at at the time. It's hard for me to really imagine it, but... Well, actually, you know what? I can, I can read one of those George Harrison quotes before we even get into it. Let me see. Uh, I met him at Madison Square Garden a couple of years before the end, and it was five years before the end. George Harrison said it was a bit sad, really, because he had all those squawking singers and trumpet players and that's, <laughs> and that stuff. But he had a great rhythm section, James Burton and all that gang. I just wanted to say to him, you know, take off the jumpsuit, put on some jeans, get your guitar and sing That's All Right, Mama and Baby, Let's Play House and get rid of all those chicks singing Ooh, I Did It My Way. Uh, he mm. said uh, it was sad, but he did do a couple of good tunes. That's uh, one of the quotes from George Harrison after Madison Square Garden. Well, that, even, that goes straight back to what I just said about the sound. Yeah. The backing singers, the orchestra, overpowering Elvis. Whether you like or dislike those particular things, those instruments, those people at a show, they're fine. But if they're overpowering the main reason that you're there, and that's to hear Elvis, True, but you're I, not going to like them as much. Yeah, but I think George is complaining about the track list, especially. He, I mean, he wants to hear, there are a lot of fans that wanted to hear more That's All Right Mama, Jailhouse Rock, hard mm. rock rock and roll songs. They, they were in the middle of 72. I think there was kind of a rock and roll revival going on. Know, there's been a rock and roll revival going on since like 68 or something. But I, that's what I got out of a lot of the reviews, even the positive ones is they want rock and roll Elvis back. I think if you look at it this way, when Elvis, for the rare chance where he got to make his own decision and did the 68 comeback, Mm -hmm. that sort of set up this idea maybe in some people's heads that, well, look at this rock and roll guy. This is where he's going to go. Yeah. And then just a very few short years later, that's not where he was. There was hints of it here and there. It's like, yeah, you're going to get a few of these, but Mm -hmm. it sort of veered off on a different uh, trajectory, let's say. I agree with you, but I feel like those people just weren't, I mean, if they paid some attention, there was memories, there was, if I can dream, there was, I mean, all, true, all true. the seeds of later Elvis mm, are there, but it was there. they wanted the, just, the look, right. They wanted black the, leather, uh, rebel yeah, kind of was the look. Elvis. Oh, I should mention, I think right around while this album is out, uh, Burning Love is probably on the charts or about to come out right oh, after yeah. this album. Like he's on a high, he's really doing well. Anyway, like, because I was looking at some of the reasons why people didn't like it and the only thing I could really see was I thought maybe they thought you know oh, it's another show where he's just like sleepwalking through the show but it's not no it's not there's a very few short glimpses of that possibly during like the you know don't be cruel and the hound dog and right stuff like that where he's just throwing away one minute tracks just to get them over with but I thought generally he's putting everything into this show because he's there to show New York you know what he's all about so I I don't think there was any sort of this wasn't an, a, an off night for Elvis. Oh, God, no, not there's, at all. There's a nervous energy, which you can hear in the first few tracks. And then he then he sort of calms down a bit. But you can tell from the start, 
out. He's like, he's ready to go. So I, I discounted that as one of the reasons why people don't like it. And then, yeah, you're left with the sound quality of the, the record itself. And that's got to be the main thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why I didn't return to it very often. I'm trying to find a... It was somebody in the crowd who just who was echoing what George Harrison said that they didn't think Elvis should be doing songs like Impossible Dream. That he should have left that in Las Vegas. That he they wanted to hear more rock. I mean, that's basically the deal. Oh, that's no different from just every idiot these days. It's like you just went and saw a great concert, but let's focus all on the negative. I didn't like those two songs. <laughs> right. What, what about the other 20 songs which blew your head off? No, you're going to go straight to the negative and go, oh, you shouldn't be doing stuff like that. Shut up. Yeah. Well, even in the, some of the reviews I read, I, I read like, oh, the audience really came alive when he started to do the 50s songs. And it's like, really? Because that's... Well, we haven't gotten into it yet, but that's where it starts to dip as far as I'm concerned. Yes, exactly. So, okay, we can we can get into the Let's show. go. <laughs> We've talked enough. Let's go into these songs. We're going side A. It's track number one. It's the introduction. Also Sprak Zarathustra. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's really much to say <laughs> that we haven't said about this already. No. It's a great introduction track. Sets the scene, sets the stage for Elvis. Yeah. What else? Um, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's perfect, especially in a big venue like Madison. In Square Garden. I think it's. Oh, think about that. Think about being in a massive place like that. Yeah. Total blackout. And then the horns start. And then that starts. Holy moly. That would be something. Yeah. And think about it. This song, when was that used in that. 2001. 2001. Uh. When did that come out? Was it seven? No, I think it was 68. Okay, so I, I think so. that song would have been still pretty fresh in people's minds from that movie. Mm -hmm. That would have just been epic. Yeah, and the, there are some points where I actually like the crowd noise because it definitely gives it a feeling of excitement. It, it feels almost like you're at an outdoor festival from the, the sound, mm. I guess because it's just such a big place. But yeah, on the opening, I think the kind of not great recording works in its favor. It, it lends excitement to it. Well, it's better than being the other way where you can barely hear the crowd. Oh, yeah. There is an ideal mix of audience levels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people get it right. And some people, you know, they just go too far either way. It's like it's too clinical. It's too quiet. It's too sanitized. Or they're just so loud you can't hear anything else. Yeah. I wonder the last album we reviewed was on stage, which was a very really cleanly recorded one. Oh, yeah. That was a good mix. Yeah. The audience were there and they were loud when they had to be loud. Mm -hmm. But when the focus was on Elvis or the band, that's where the, the levels were. And that was it was a really good mix. Yeah, much better than this one. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, track number two. See, we're already, we're flying. Yeah. That's all right. Is it not that's all right, Mama? Is it actually just that's all right? I think either. Yeah. I, Technically. I think it got released as both, uh, not only by Elvis, but even by uh, Arthur Crudup, the original guy. Um, mm. Yeah, this originally came out in 1947 by Arthur Crudup and Elvis did it in 1954, I think. I've just started talking about it, so I guess I'm going first. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to talk about Elvis's original if we ever go back to the 50s, but it's great. And the original by Arthur Crudup in 1947 is also really, really great. And everyone should listen to it. I like when Elvis started the show with That's All Right instead of C.C. Ryder just because it's different. And he usually started with yep. C.C. Ryder. There's no great difference between the two songs. They both work. I think when we reviewed the one in the afternoon at the garden, we talked about he probably chose this one because it was his very first song, his first hit, and it was the perfect way to start this show. Yeah, I'm going to show New York. Yeah, this is how I began. This is, you know, 
there's a cool guitar solo at 109. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. I feel like sometimes I feel like the concert is a little rushed. Other times it feels very pro- like a professional tight show. I can't quite make up my mind if it's rushed or just tight. <laughs> I was saying sometimes I prefer some of those looser shows like in Vegas at midnight. But Mm. this is a very professional show. The whole thing. He never misses a lyric. He's pretty much on it. Yeah, I don't have that much else to say. I I enjoy it. It's a good it's as good as CC Rider in some ways better. That's all I got. Well, I mean, the music is practically the same. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. You know, this opening track, he could literally sing like three or four different lyrics and it'd be the same music every time. It doesn't even matter. Practically. It's just like whatever he feels like coming out with. It doesn't even matter to the band because they're just playing the opening track. The vocals can change. That's fine. Yeah. Once again, I listened to this the first couple times in the dark with the headphones on. Mm-hmm. Didn't look at the track list. Didn't have a clue what was coming. So fully expecting CC Rider. Oh, nice. And yeah, so I was happy to get this song instead. Well, the, these lyrics instead. Same song. <laughs> it's a great performance. The bass is great. The drums are great. Elvis is just note perfect. Uh, almost. You can just hear just underneath there's like this nervous energy. Mm-hmm. There's a tiny little quiver in his voice at a, a couple of spots in this first and maybe the second track as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's it's great. You know, he, he's there to show them and, and he does. Yeah. That's it. That's track two. See? Where, oh, see? <laughs> I think because we've already done a bunch of live shows and we've already done Afternoon at the Garden, we'll get through this. It's not going to be another two-hour show. But then again, every time we've said that, mm-hmm. it turns out being a long show. Yeah. So, track number three, Proud Mary, John Fogarty. Holy moly, this is a performance. Mm -hmm. Once again, Ronnie Tut is just unbelievably outstanding on this song. Also, the bass, it's probably just the mixing, but the bass on this album sounds really good. That's Mm -hmm. one thing in the mixing they got really right. Because a lot of times the bass, they just bury the bass, Mm -hmm. and you can't even hear what they're playing. But here you can hear everything that happens on the bass, and you're not straining your ears going, oh, what's he doing? It's there. It's right there. It's, It's good stuff. Not only do we get the constant steps up at the end, key changes at the end of this performance Mm -hmm. but on the last one I think usually he used to only go up three I think he went up four on this one yeah I think you're right and then when he gets up to the last one he hits some insane high notes which you would expect him to do earlier when it was easier Mm -hmm. but no he waits until it's the highest (laughs) point and then he goes up and does these crazy notes and this is where the mixing really annoys me Mm -hmm. because it's buried in the mix it's slightly it's like five percent better on Prince from Another Planet, but it's still not great. Yeah. But it. but he does it twice. He hits those high notes and it just blew my mind. I went back and played it about four times the first time mm-hmm. because I'm like, he's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and again, he's going to blow New York's head off. That's what he's there for. <laughs> and he does. He does. It's it. it's hard to believe that we also reviewed Proud Mary on the very last album and how different it is without Ronnie Tut. Oh, yeah. God, if this version had been recorded as cleanly as the previous one without Ronnie Tut. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, this is... That would be the standout of the whole album. Yeah, it still probably is in some ways. It's, oh, it's still up the there. The drumming, I, I don't have anything different than you to say. I mean, the drumming is incredible. The bass is great, but the bass is really good throughout this album. Yeah, the main difference is, like I said, we covered this recently, and it's just... It, no, no, it's no, like no, Elvis covered this. It's a cover. <laughs> right, <laughs> but... um. But yeah, it, Ronnie Tut makes all the difference. This oh, is yeah. this is also a more complete version than the one he did on on stage. He does another verse that he left out of the other one. And yeah, JD Sumner. Oh, yeah. JD Sumner wasn't on the previous one either. I don't think so. Oh, it was you missing. missed that. We said we said that last time. You 
missed it so much. And I even heard the Credence version on the radio like yesterday. And you really miss Mm -hmm. that deep voice. There is somebody doing like sort of that part in that version, but... But not like JD. It's, um, but he's like an octave lower and it's just, you really miss it. It's crazy. I'm so used to this version. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back and listen to the, the afternoon one, but other than that one, this has got to be my favorite version of Proud Mary that Elvis has done. Mm. I usually, when we cover this, which I think, like I said, maybe twice before, uh, I point out that I'm sick of the song because marching bands in New Orleans play <laughs> it all the time. But uh, this is still, this is a great version, and this is just an electric concert. So yep. that's it for Proud Mary. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Track number four, Never Been to Spain by Hoyt Axton. I was, I'm sure we've mentioned that name previously, but I don't recall it. It's such an interesting name, Hoyt Axton. Yeah, I thought... I thought this was like a three dog night song but i think they did okay. it i know the name but for some reason the name sounds older it sounds like somebody from the 40s you know oh born 1938 well he's younger than elvis among his best known songs are joy to the world the pusher no no song and never been to spain oh, cool i don't think i've ever heard the original i'll have to check it out so yeah he did write a few songs for three dog night because they did they did joy to the world didn't mm-hmm. they that's one of my favorite songs yeah that's a great song. So, never been to Spain. Uh, I'll, t- I'll talk about it. I don't have a whole lot to say. I-, I think this is probably the best version. When he gets to about 105 and does the, well, I've never been to heaven, is just incredible mm. when he just brings the, the voice. Yep. At about 140, there's a very cool guitar solo with horns. In fact, the guitar going through the whole second half of the song is very, very cool. Let's see, he really punches a note at 250 during the, but I really don't remember. Like, he punches oh, yeah. that line, yep. and it's so cool. Yep. That happens a lot in this entire yeah, show. Yeah, he hits things you don't expect. There's just a few notes, and again, I don't know if it's just because he's there to smash New York in the mm-hmm. face. I think so. But at least once every song, there's just like one note, yeah. which he just like sings it really Really high or he just smashes it for no particular reason because yeah, he and you're just like holy moly where'd that come from <laughs> yeah yeah i also think it's an interesting choice i'm not going to like dwell too much on it but it's an interesting choice that he would choose a song that specifically mentions kind of liking the beatles when i think it had been in the news beforehand that lennon and you know that some beatles might be in attendance oh um, yeah. again, i don't want to put too much into that there's no reason to but i think i still think it was conscious i think he it was a conscious uh, mm. acknowledgement just for a second imagine you were george and john <laughs> yeah in that audience watching that show and elvis presley your childhood idol is up there singing i kind of like the yeah. beatles that would just that would have blown their mind for about five Oh, I've got so much to say about the Beatles when we get further into this album. (laughs) I've got a real weird tangent coming up later. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have too much. It starts off as, you know, you think fairly average. Mm -hmm. And there, like you said, once he gets into that first chorus and the the voice comes out, just blows your head off. He hits some great high notes. Again, the bass is the standout on this track. Mm. And what what you said about the guitar as well, because there's on rhythm guitar, is it like, is it John Wilkerson? Is that who it is? Yeah. And then you've got James Burton on the lead. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is James Burton is not, yes, he's a lead guitarist, but a lot of songs are basically duets with Elvis. 
Yeah, it's, there's well, like a there's like a call sure. and response thing. Elvis sings a line, and then James is doing a thing in between every vocal part. Mm-hmm. And when you really listen to the guitar, you're like, he's not just doing the lead solo. You know, three quarters of the way through the song. He's yeah. like going the whole way, just doing little bits and pieces. That's why he's one of the best. He just, mm-hmm. he knows where to fit in all his little things exactly without yeah. overpowering anything else. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Okay. Really never been to Spain. Do we know that's a fact? Has he never been to Spain? I'm pretty sure that's true. That was something else I considered when I was looking at little slightly autobiographical things. He went to Germany, but what about Spain? No, he'd never been to Spain. It's true he's never been to Spain. <laughs> and a big part of that Elvis uh, movie that didn't win any Oscars was how Elvis really wanted to tour and really wanted to yeah. go to Europe and Colonel Parker's. There were a lot of things against it. The, the main reason I've heard that I, I've read in books and stuff was because Colonel technically was not legally American and if he left they might find out. If he left they might let, let him back. It's the same reason he didn't yeah. visit Elvis when he was in the army. Uh, he didn't have any kind of passport or birth certificate or anything. So God, just imagine if Elvis had toured like Europe or even Australia. It just would have been crazy. Yeah, or Japan. He was super popular in places like that. But yeah, so that's another one. I don't know how much it was chosen for some autobiographical. It's a fun song and he sings it well. I don't want to turn it into what I'm going to (laughs) turn. I'm already going to turn a later song into a whole thing. Okay, here we go. It's track number five. You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, written by a whole bunch of people. Pino Donaggio, Simon Napier-Bell, Vito Pallavicini, and Vicky Wickham. Is this one of the Italian conversions? I was going to say Italian or French. I kind of thought it was... Because there's two Italian names out of those four. Yeah, then maybe that's it. We covered this one on That's the Way It Is, Mm. the studio version. It's a decent version of this. There's nothing that amazing. It's got a good key change. The bass Mm. really takes off then. But yeah, I don't have that much to say. It's a pretty standard version of it. Yeah, I prefer the studio version that we covered a few years ago. Uh, Not us, but he covered a few years ago. Uh, (laughs) I like the song. It's one of my favorites. I love the drums in it again. And I like the sort of epic, sweeping, romantic vibe of the song itself. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I had anything else to say about You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. I, I, I love it. I like the earlier version, the studio version uh, better. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, you know, it's about two minutes long. It's nice, but it's not my favorite yeah. on, on this album anyway. Being so short and being so sort of not interesting, it almost feels like just another one of those 50s one-minute throwaways. Um, I don't know. It's I do wonder why Elvis didn't really bring it on this song because he, he could have. I think maybe he's just kind of catching his breath or maybe getting distracted by the audience or something. I mean, when you think about it, there's not even that many opportunities for him to really like smash some notes in this. It's sort of a pretty calm song. It'd probably be a bit weird if he started (laughs) shouting out parts of it. (laughs) No, I I think if you listen to the studio version, he does do it in a little more of a commanding way. Mm. And he could have... And he does that on a lot of other songs, but I, I'm not sure why he chose this one. I, this song and the next song are both from that same album. That's the way it is. And I don't know, maybe he just decided he wanted to do two songs from that album and he picked these two. For well, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's the way it is. It only come out not that long ago. Yeah. And it was 
great and it was uh you know critically acclaimed and stuff so yeah maybe he wanted to just do two songs from that he's album. given them what the people want yeah okay so let's go it's track six you've lost that love and feeling uh written by barry mann cynthia wheel and phil Spector. oh, oh phil Spector, there you that. go oh, yeah. pr- probably producer i don't know yeah anyway this is something <laughs> the, that really deep bass right at the start every time of this song oh mm. it just sounds so good and again just imagine you were the guy up there playing that bass and at that point probably still in darkness after the lights had gone down from the last song and just playing those really low notes yeah. and just the sound of it it would shake that whole place oh yeah. it'd be great mm-hmm. the first time elvis says baby yeah oh, that's that's a note there's some there's some power in that yeah. in that vocal Oh, it's incredible. It, it almost distorts. I think it does, actually. The the one he does later on is not as strong, but this first one really just punches you in the face. Yeah. And see, this is another one. With the mix on this, you really notice how at times Elvis just needs to be louder. It's mm-hmm. And I know it's not his... It could be a small part, his microphone technique, but usually he's really good with that. So then it only leaves the mixing as the reason why. But this is the track where I really started to notice, like, I just can't hear him well enough. Yeah. I have a feeling there was just huge amounts of, like, microphone bleed. Uh, Like, everybody's mic was picking Mm. up everything on stage. Yeah, they're so much better now with, you know, separating those things and getting levels right and not having feedback. But back then, I think they just used to just turn everything up to just before it feeds back. Yeah. And like, that's loud enough. Yeah. <laughs> Get out there. <laughs> um, just before the last chorus, he hits this great, unexpected high note. And it just, uh, I don't have the time for it. It just blew my head off because it's just, wow, okay. Yeah, he's really given it to New York. I keep saying that. Then we get that sort of change in the song, but there's some great vocals in this part. And again, the bass near the end of this is nice too. I won't say everything. I'll leave some for you. <laughs> well, this is another one from That's The Way It Is. My favorite version of this is still a rehearsal that came out in 1980. Uh, it's on that silver box set. We got an email about it once, but um, but this is a close. Oh. Parts of this one are better than that. Like when Elvis does the parts where he sounds thunderous, like you said, when he says baby, and then like baby three times getting more uh, epic each time uh, like he's great at that yeah he does the uh, if i'd get down on my knees for you if my suit weren't too tight if the suit wasn't <laughs> too tight every time i hear that i cannot help think that prince used the exact same line yeah in some kinda. song at some point uh, uh, it's very similar yeah i know what you mean and i can't think what um, it is now i know elvis has said it a few times mm-hmm. i think my favorite part of this version of this song is that around 248 when he does he's supposed to just do love me love me like you used to do and he does love me love me hot damn like you used to do um yeah and that's just great yeah, this is a fun version, and you can tell he's enjoying singing it. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't always pick that out, but he, he seems like he's into it, and it's, yeah. This is probably the best live version there is from him. Yeah, that's it for uh, You Lost a Love. That part near the end where he says, don't, 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 mm-hmm. it goes up and up oh, and up. So that's good. every version that's good. Yeah. But it just makes me think, like you said, you can tell when he's enjoying singing a song. As humble as he was, it's hard to think that when he ended a song like this, even he mm-hmm. d- didn't think something like, that was pretty good. <laughs> My vocal just then was insane. Um, it's so hard to think, you know, because as great as it is and as humble as he appeared, mm-hmm. there had to be somewhere in between where he could just admit that was in, that was amazing. Well, he's he, so, you know, it's, it's not something he'd ever actually say to anybody. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He was. But he was. It's got to be in his head. He was such a, a paradox. 
right before these shows, you know, he did that press conference where where one woman asked him, what about your image as a shy, humble country boy? And he yeah. stands up and opens up his crazy suit with this like matching lining. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't want to make him think that this gold belt. I mean, he was humble, but he knew he was Elvis. <laughs> that was. Yeah. There's times for the that performance part of it. Yeah. But yeah, he must. have. I mean, he knew. He knew. And like, yeah, he enjoyed singing a song like this where he can do some great stuff. You know, he enjoys it and he'd have to also enjoy hearing it himself going, I'm doing that. Yeah. Well, I think when he got out there. <laughs> I just did that. Yeah. When he got out there, I, I really think he felt he embodied something much more than himself. You know, I mean, I feel like he wore the clothes and, and he. Yeah, it's it's very complicated, Elvis, yeah. when you really get down to it, because he really did seem like a very humble, modest guy. And yet you have to somehow marry that to this guy on stage in a cape who's who's, you know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's crazy. But that's yeah. Elvis. That's a whole other show right there. Yeah, it really is. Let's go to track number seven. Yes. It is oh, one of your favorites, I'm guessing. Mm. Poke sell at any. I know it's oh, one of your It's favorites. a great song. Yeah. And this is a this is a good performance of this one. Mm -hmm. Of course, the bass is great. The dr Ronnie on the drums just perfect, yes. and not that often heard at an Elvis at, a, at an Elvis show at any song. We get a bass solo. Yes. We get yeah. a bass solo from Jerry. I couldn't really believe it. I played too. it about three times. Just <laughs> it's great. Just the distortion sound that he has on the bass. It's not always there, but it was on for this solo. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it sounds so good. The actual yeah. solo itself was not the best, but just to hear one, I was. Yeah. Like, it's a bass song. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. The crazy outro on this song, I think it's a bit too crazy. <laughs> I think it's, what's that word? Crescendo. I think it, mm -hmm. it gets to the end too fast. It needs a bit more time to build up. But here, it's like zero to 10 in about five <laughs> seconds. And then it's over way too quick. Well, that describes the whole possibly concert, sort of. But you listen to other shows and this sort of outro sort of builds and builds a bit. But here, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's just so fast. And again, that yeah. can add to people thinking, oh, this is all. This is, they've done something to this recording. Because yeah, it's just, just listening to it. It's like, that's not the normal way that they did it. So it'd yeah. be easy for people to think, oh, they've done some dodgy things here. Well, I could say this, even if they, well, if nothing's been done, and I assume nothing has, Elvis would have been conscious that this was an album that was being recorded and he would know uh, how many minutes per yeah, side yeah. vinyl can handle. And, you know, I don't yeah, know don't, how. Don't waste any time. Don't talk too much. <laughs> We've got 52 minutes and that's it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I think that really is possibly in his head. And that might be why there's a feeling of rushedness for me through a lot of the show. Although yeah. my notes for this song is that at this point in the concert, this is the most incredible show of all time. I mean, if I'm in the audience at the end of Pokes oh, Alley, yeah. this is the most incredible thing that's ever, <laughs> ever happened to me. And I feel like Pokes Alley Annie kind of ends the first segment yep. of the show. I, yeah, I don't have much else to say about Pokes Alley Annie. I think it's a great, tight recording, like everything else on this album. Everything is just like this tight, kind of short, almost perfect little diamond of a of a recording. What, what you said before about, you know, by some point in the early 70s where New York, maybe California, you know, they had their view of what Elvis was. Mm -hmm. And then obviously through the mid and, 
later 70s that only grew by mm-hmm. his, you know, appearance and that yeah. whole media perception. You know, I mean, that's the media. That's what they do. But well, but it's such a disservice to Elvis because uh, other countries didn't get that. I never no. really noticed that here in Australia. And the only time I see that sort of perception of Elvis is from Americans. It is. It is because it's a prejudice against the South. It's a whole, there are scholarly papers written about this, in fact, uh, about like in the beginning, most of the original criticism of Elvis was because he was this white trash Southerner who was, you know, the black music was sort of infused within him and he was thought of as beneath. And he still is. I'm kind of glad the movie is done with because maybe some of the backlash will die back down. But it's people who consider themselves music snobs that hate Elvis a yeah. lot. And that drives me crazy because they don't, how do they not appreciate this guy? Even yeah, even if you nuts. never saw a picture of Elvis in your life somehow and you had only heard his audio and his voice, how could you have a prejudice against that voice? And especially if you didn't even know if he was black or white. Yeah. You know, if you went on voice alone. Yeah, I don't know why it is, know, but he's just, he, he's considered a punchline to this day in some There would be circles. a very different image of Elvis in history if he had only been a voice and you never saw him, you never saw a photo, mm-hmm. you didn't know what race he was and you just judged on that vocal, it would blow your mind and he would be in history as one of the, the greatest yeah. voices. Yeah, he would. But now there's the physical image and all the, you know, every time I hear or see a joke about, you know, it's Elvis in the bathroom and it's like, yeah, so. it, it's just, I mean, it's ugly, but I just just sort of shrug it off now because I'm so used to it but it's still it's just like really that's yeah you're still doing that like 50 years later it's just yeah. sad couldn't agree more anyway that's another show <laughs> track number eight it's love me Jerry Lieber Mike Stoller they wrote yeah. a few songs for Elvis mm-hmm. this is a pretty standard version but this is basically the start of the the sampler set it's like here's a bunch of 60 to 90 second songs from years ago but I know you really want to hear them yeah. so I'll just bash them out the whole lot in about six minutes yeah How about that it's funny <laughs> on the uh, on a bootleg from the same year earlier this year 1972 the track listing is almost the same. And right after Pokes Salad Annie, he does Love Me. But on that one, he actually says, I'm going to do some oldies. Yeah. Now. He doesn't title it that way in the in the Madison Square Garden concert. But yeah, you're right. This is yeah, the oldies I mean, this, segment. Yeah, it's nothing to say about Love Me, is there? I'm, you know, Elvis's version that he did in 1956 is so good. And it's mm. every time he did this live... I hate the arrangement. I hate JD's part doing the like boom, 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 boom. boom. (laughs) Yeah, let Jerry play that. Don't, I just, I think it's a, I don't know, it's just a really disappointing arrangement that doesn't take the song seriously. Would you say that this song was a victim of becoming Vegasified, if that's even a word? Maybe it should be now. Um, because, yeah, the original no, original's fine. I think it was a song, it's a little bit like the song Fever, where I think Elvis is just slightly embarrassed to be singing it, but sings it anyway because he feels like he should. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics of Love Me, they are kind of silly. In fact, I think in that movie Top Secret with Val Kilmer, I think one of the Elvis parodies might be of Love Me. I don't know. I think Elvis, it's like he seemed a little bit embarrassed to do it and so turned it into, with the arrangement, into a little bit of a parody. So he felt like he was in on the joke, but he didn't have to do it as a joke. But I, hey, I don't he know. He could have just not done it at all. Yeah, I don't know what to say about Love Me. I, I He did it in 68 and it was really good. I liked that version. But every live version after that feels like 
a little bit of a novelty. Yeah. Or well, something. It, it's like, I mean, yeah, it's like a bunch of these songs, but like, especially Love Me Tender. Right. Anyway, that's yeah. Love Me. Track yeah. number nine, All Shook Up. There's nothing wrong with this. It's mm-hmm. a uh, perfunctory performance <laughs> of a classic track I've got written here. <laughs> Blink and You'll Miss It right. is basically what it is. 56. <laughs> it's just, a, it's one minute. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Um, it always reminds me of uh, Prince's doing his live version of All Shook Up. And it also always reminds me of Prince's song, Delirious, which I still mm. think takes a lot of inspiration from All Shook yes. Up. But uh, yeah, it's done real quickly. Even Love Me, which I complained about, I, I, even all of these are still done better than usual, I think. They're more focused. But yeah, it, it's one minute of All Shook Up. I did notice that they are done with a bit more care and mm-hmm. focus. focus. Oh, I'm trying to say a lot of times when he performed these you could tell he just, he didn't give a crap. But here, <laughs> right. he gives slightly more right. of a crap. <laughs> right. Because he knows it's it's going to be on the album. It's his big shows in New York. You know, there's a bunch of reasons why. Right. Be focused on this entire show. Don't just throw these away. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Uh, track number 10, Heartbreak Hotel. Again, how much can you say? It's a good performance. Mm-hmm. Nothing out of the ordinary, though. Uh, it's fine. It's just, it's given them, it's given them their big songs that they want to hear. Yeah. And I think Heartbreak Hotel is, slightly more associated for Elvis with New York because I think he debuted in New York on television and it was his first big number one for RCA and so this would be the first time he performed it on stage in New York since the 50s and I think that's the mm. is that the first song I can say that about I think it is on the album I think Heartbreak Hotel because Love Me no he might have done Love Me on the Ed Sullivan show but anyway yeah I, I think it's a good version but like you there's not a lot to say about it no. uh, or the next couple the next few track number 11 it's I mean, it's two tracks. It, it says is. medley. It is. Let me be your teddy bear. Slash, don't be cruel. <laughs> two more. Blink and you'll miss it. Um, oldies. Both are fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was hoping, and uh, there's a line in this which he changes, which we, do, he? we don't get in this. And it's... The no- I think the normal line is something like the future looks bright ahead, but he likes to sing before I kick your ass. Oh, but he yeah, doesn't He doesn't always <laughs> do it, but every time, just like the shove it up your nose line, I'm just waiting. <laughs> for, is he going to do it this time? Is he going to do it? And he didn't do it. I was kind of, re- I was relieved, kind of. Yeah. A lot of Elvis's before jokes. Before I kick you. Yeah. And then a big like symbol <laughs> uh, splash because he doesn't want to say the bad word. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of times I find Elvis funny, but I have to admit that one kind of makes me cringe when he, when he does the, Let's forget about the past before I kick your ass. But yeah, I guess like you said, it's New York. They're definitely recording, so gonna do the gonna do the real lyrics. Yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> someone would the colonel would have been like Elvis. I'm not paying for someone to edit this mother effing <laughs> record, so don't you say one word that I need to edit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got a, a in the next one, Love Me Tender. There's a there's a thing that he sometimes says that he stops himself oh, yeah. from saying. So, yeah, all of these are, like you said, perfunctory is such a good way yeah, to put it. It's like we have to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it fine. But, yeah. Uh, you know, some people say 110 percent. Not these. You just get the 100. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Elvis, they feel like Elvis felt obligated to sing them. And so that's why it's so weird when I read some of the reviews that said this is when the crowd really started to go nuts because he was singing you know his older hits and elvis himself seems bored with his older hits so yeah uh, it's interesting because i mean even prince has said that Mm -hmm. i mean he went out and did a tour where he played almost all new songs yeah yeah even though he was in his what 30s then he Mm -hmm. did admit later 
he would never, he wouldn't do that now because he knows there's this obligation to the audience to give them at least right. a, a balance of songs that they want to hear. Right. But, but that was, you know, the the arrogance of youth. And he's like, I'm going to go a whole show of new material. Yeah. And so still, a lot of Prince fans loved it. But there were also complaints from the, the general public who went to a Prince concert. And they're like, I didn't know any of those songs. He didn't sing Raspberry Beret or Kiss. Yeah. Well, I remember so, for the um, Love Sexy tour, I can remember people complaining that the piano met you just had like a couple of snippets of the big songs and that's what they really mm. wanted to hear. See, Elvis would come out and do these old songs and he didn't particularly want to do them, it seems, but he but he knew that the audience wanted to hear them. And then, like you say, massive reaction from a New York audience. That just proves yeah. that, yes, they do want to hear it. So you've got to keep doing it, even though you hate it, which is annoying, I'm sure. Anyway, track right. number 12, Love Me Tender. This one was a surprise for me for some reason. I just wasn't expecting this to come, and I did. <laughs> it's a pretty standard version, but yeah, a minute and a half, and, and we're done. And that last song on side eight. Too. Yeah, a lot of crowd noise, boy. Um, They're going bonkers. I, yeah, I like that he does the, you know, my first movie, ladies and gentlemen, as if he really needed to say that. Mm. There's definitely a part in this in this song where a lot of times he changes a line to, you have made my mm turn blue. He never... <laughs> and I can I can sense it in his voice that he wants to say it and he doesn't he does it right. I like at one point he says pull the cords fool to uh <laughs> guitarist which is awesome. I like the I'll be up in the balcony in a minute baby. Mm. Overall, I mean it's pretty solid. He's playing playing with the audience as usual, but it's a more uh, again, a, a slightly more focused version of Love Me Tender than frequently we get. Uh, but it, it still feels like an obligation yeah. a little bit. And that's, that's all I that's have. That's side A. Yes. You know, a weird thing. <laughs> there was a, a re-release of this and it came out on double vinyl. And I don't see any particular reason why that happened because it fit on a single vinyl. Right. But there was a re-release of it and it's side A, B, C, D. And I think that sort of in some people's heads who didn't go into all the details, that might have reinforced the fact that the original was sped up. And now this new version, yeah. the full complete show, it's on two vinyls. Well, if not, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to be. If not sped up, yeah. edited. But there's no difference as far as I could see. It's just... Is it just an excuse to sell a more expensive product? You're selling two records instead well, of one? Is it just is marketing? Is there an etching on one? Oh, I'm no, sure there's yeah. not. But it's, <laughs> I'm I, I just saw it and I'm like, what is the point yeah. of just it's, literally yeah. doubling the cost of the product for no reason? Well, not for no reason, to make double the cost of the product. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That is the oh, yeah, reason. But to, but to yes, the, to the exactly. consumer, there's the only benefit is, oh, I get to pay more money yeah. for this. That's not a benefit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if anyone knows if there's a reason why, please let us know. Yeah, I didn't um, even realize I, that. Yeah, I just looked up on um, Amazon mm -hmm. and then there was one of the listings was a four, you know, two vinyls. And I'm like, why is yeah. this? And then I started reading about the sped up thing. And then I started looking yeah. into that. It's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> well, you know, we got an email, I think, after our very first episode, because I had mentioned the thing about it being sped up. And they, they oh, were yeah, to yeah. tell me I was basically continuing a, a lie. <laughs> so. A lie. Okay, it is put to bed now. It is official. Right. We said yes. so. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to side B. So. If you're on the CD, it makes absolutely no difference to you. Or digital streaming. Again, no difference. It's just a bunch of random bits, zeros and yeah. ones. Side B or track 13. Yeah. Now, The Impossible mm -hmm. Dream, The Quest mm. by Joe Darian and Mitch Lee. Mm. Now, I had no idea this was coming. Totally unexpected because... 
he didn't perform this very much from all the shows yeah. that I've heard. So it was really, it was like, what and is this? And you're listening, headphones in the dark? In uh, the dark, yes. Oh. And I'm like, wow, this is something. It is so obvious it's from a musical. Mm -hmm. Is it like Don Quixote yeah. or the La Mancha, Man from La yes, Mancha Man or something? La Mancha. It's like a movie, and within the movie is a play that's based on the book Don Quixote, and the movie is called Man of oh, La Mancha. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like three times removed. Because, mm. yeah, I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh, this is so obvious. This has got to be from some mm -hmm. musical. And then, of course, I'm like, well, of course Elvis likes it. He loves these big dramatic songs <laughs> and those like the Italian mm -hmm. conversion songs that he loves. He just loves that sort of thing. I mean, it's a great vocal performance. There's some great high notes. There's a big key change. Ronnie starts going crazy <laughs> on the drums. Elvis hits some great high notes at the end and then it's over. But again, it was just so unexpected because I didn't even know what the song was when I first started playing it. I'm like, I don't yeah. know this song. And like halfway through, I'm like, what is this? I had no yeah, idea. I, anyway. Yeah, the crowd reaction, not from listening to it, but from reading, was also sort of surprised that Elvis did this song. And I guess it was a controversial choice. The song itself, of course, has been like covered by everybody from Frank Sinatra, Robert Goulet, Perry Como, Cher, Placido Domingo. Oh, wow. Uh, that is a Yeah, that is a I range. mean, this is... But what I was surprised about was how many people uh, didn't like it. Uh, George Harrison, I think this is the song that he was specifically talking about when he was talking about how he wished Elvis would have done not been doing songs like My Way. Uh, he was confused because in 72 mm. he hadn't done My Way yet. So I really think he was talking about this song. There's a lot of quotes on this Elvis website that I visit, and they're all really similar to this one. Uh, I saw Elvis at Madison Square Garden, and when he did this, we all looked at each other and said, why is he doing stuff like this? Uh, the Over-the-top cape and jumpsuits were one thing, but songs like this belonged on Broadway. This is not even pop. And then I've got uh, Not My Cup of Tea at All. I saw Elvis at Madison Square Garden, and this is not what me and my friends wanted to hear at all at an Elvis concert. And there's lots and lots of that echoed throughout. Interesting. Now, my, my comment on that is if you go to a, any concert by any artist, there's a set list, mm -hmm. right? And most of the time with any decent artist, that set list is created by that mm -hmm. artist because they're the songs that they yes. want to perform. So the only logical conclusion, if you're at a concert and you hear a song that you don't know or you're not expecting, isn't the only logical conclusion is this artist wants to sing this song? Very much. So I don't know why people are like, why is he doing this? I don't want to hear this sort of song. Well, it's not, yeah. <laughs> you know what? How do you even explain that concept to somebody that, oh, isn't there some sort of saying about, you know, an artist who's meant to challenge their audience yes, or something? Yes, yes. Th that's exactly what this is, isn't I it? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's insane to me. I mean, and this song is so Elvis, as you said. I mean, when you heard it, yes. you can see why he recorded it. I mean... Everything about this screams yes, Elvis. But that's coming from this historical point yes. of view, looking back at all those sort of yes. songs that he's done. Maybe in 71, 72, he hadn't gotten that much into those sort of right. songs. So this still could have been a surprise. But looking back now, it's like, well, of course he loves right. that sort of song. But what yeah. I really think is fascinating. Well, I just I went on such a deep dive. I love this song. Um, I think. His performance of it here is beyond spectacular. There's a couple of earlier recordings of it, but this is the best one. What I was going to say is going to take a while, probably. 
it is one of my very favorites. Uh, I, I kind of forget about it sometimes because Elvis, he didn't do it very often. It was the show no. closer in 1971 for a while. But those oh, versions wow, really? are really different. The last verse, it sounds like J.D. sings like alone. And so this is a different reworking of it. And in this version, it's more of a harmony thing. The lyrics. God, I love the lyrics to this. What I was going to say is in the movie Pulp Fiction, there's a deleted scene that has Uma Thurman talking to John Travolta, written by Quentin Tarantino, talking about how there are Elvis people and there are Beatles people. And you can have Elvis people that like the Beatles and Beatles people that like Elvis, but they can't like them equally. you got to be one or the other. And she says John Travolta is obviously an Elvis person in the movie. But I was thinking about the lyrics to this song and the lyrics to like certain Beatles songs, particularly if like John Lennon, for example, is in the audience. I mean, John sang a song, nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can sing that can't be sung. This, the lyrics to this song are the exact opposite. He wants to reach oh. the unreachable star, bear with unbearable sorrow. It couldn't be more opposite. In 1971, the year before, John Lennon's Imagine is all over the radio, and that's got nothing to live or die for. This song says, I'm willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. This is a song about fighting oh. with your last ounce of courage to reach an unreachable star. It's just, uh, it's transcendent, you know? Yeah, this song, it really is one of my favorites. It mm -hmm. seems like we all know that the Beatles loved Elvis in the mm -hmm. early years. And then at whatever point, they're like, ah, oh, he's gone off and he's doing Vegas mm -hmm. and we don't like him anymore. But it seems like, yeah, that was part of it. But it could have just been Elvis. I mean, obviously, it was reflected in the songs that he sang. But it seems he like he just changed as a person. And maybe they didn't like that change. Yeah, I think they were. Because like you're saying, of... you know, early on, it was just rock and roll. And, you know, rock and roll's not really saying anything. But then when you start mm -hmm. getting into the lyrics that John wrote and Elvis wrote, they're like exactly polar opposites. That could have been when they're like, yeah, I'm not I'm not digging Elvis anymore because he's saying right. this and we're saying this. So it's not just that, oh, he's, he's in Vegas wearing jumpsuits. Right. We should be clear that Elvis didn't write the lyrics. Oh, no, no. But he chose to sing those lyrics because that's what he wanted Without to say. Without a doubt, this is a song that he felt deeply. You can hear it in his voice. And mm. uh, talking about how he yeah. wasn't really accepted in New York or L.A. and in certain people who considered themselves, you know, intellectuals didn't like Elvis and thought he was beneath them. So, yeah, I don't know how much he identified with this song, you know, one man scorned and covered in scars. I don't know. There's just something epic and dramatic about Elvis standing there alone singing this with John Lennon and George Harrison in the freaking audience. Yeah, it, it feels like a statement. It feels like the statement of this concert. I don't even know what it is. It's just defiant. It's like this is not the song you guys want me to sing, but I'm going to sing it so yeah. incredible that if it doesn't blow your head off, then there is something wrong with you, not me. Yeah, exactly. Do you think, we, we all hear about, you know, Elvis was always, you know, trying to fight Colonel to get this or that, and the Colonel would just <laughs> uh -huh. say no. 68, come back, Elvis wanted to do it the way it actually happened, mm -hmm. and it was amazing. Colonel wanted to do some other ridiculous thing. Do you think this is a song that Elvis really no. had to, you know, fight to, no. to, to get? Other than some publishing issues once in a while, I think Elvis was making his own decisions completely about what songs to sing at this point. The Colonel was keeping oh. Elvis in a situation where he wasn't getting good demos in the studio. But when he heard a song yeah, like Impossible yeah. Dream, which he could have heard by Sinatra or Goulet or anybody, 
and wanted to do it, then that was Elvis would do it. It's also interesting in the earlier season, he sang the original verse, which is to love pure and chaste from afar. And then he changes it in later versions to to be better far than you are, which somebody changed it. I don't know if it was Robert Goulet or Frank Sinatra. It might have been Sinatra, but one of them changed the lines because I guess they thought to love pure and chaste from afar wasn't cool enough <laughs> so it became to be better far than you are which works anyway I, just like we've mm-hmm. never been to spain there's a line in there about i kind of like the beatles and we're like could have possibly sang that mm-hmm. because he knew that they were there do you think that could have also been part of the reason why he chose yeah. to sing this song I because did. he knew that they were there and like you said imagine had already that was out a yeah. year before 71 it could conceivably even be on and the so, lower realms so of the charts. I wonder if that point. was part of that as well. He wasn't just showing the audience, yeah, I can do this sort of song, not just the the rock and roll or the other stuff, but I can do this. But then he's also showing John and George, yeah, I know you guys love me early on, but this is where I'm going now. And it's a different direction mm-hmm. that you guys are going, especially lyrically, total opposite. Again, total theory, Yeah, it's I possible. Yeah, I think Elvis definitely knew what the song was saying and knew I mean there's no way he doesn't know the song All You Need Is Love by the Beatles everybody knows that song yeah, yeah. nothing you do that can't be done it's it's such a diametrically opposed I mean, I mean the song doesn't say anything different than like Katie Lang's Constant Craving or you know it's just a song about the human condition of striving for something greater but yeah, there is something about it that I feel like divides who the Elvis people are from who the Beatles people are. I mean, I could possibly be putting way too much um, importance on the way that Elvis felt that John and George might be there. He might have heard that. He might not have heard that. He might have heard it and thought, great, yeah. whatever. Or he might have really, oh, okay, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna right. to think about this and... Yeah, I don't know. I think we're putting too much on that, maybe. I probably am. And whether they had, even if they hadn't been there, him doing this song at this show in New York, it's, it's, oh, a, it's still a big it's the same statement. Thing. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, it still addresses who he was as opposed to who other people were, I guess. Anyway, that's sort of all I've got. To be honest, I've got, I could write a whole paper on this and I've got <laughs> Plenty more, but uh, <laughs> I, I've said enough about it. I think. Well, I mean, it's a it's a interest. It's a good start to side B. Straight off with this track, yeah. So then we're track fourteen. Introductions by Elvis. Pretty standard. Nothing amazing here. A few jokes. Yeah. He lists he everyone's names, and then he you know he always forgets somebody. He's like, <laughs> is, is it yeah, Sylvia? Exactly. Is that your name? You know. And of course he knows everybody's yeah. name. It's just funny. It's It seems to end really abruptly. Mm-hmm. It sort of just stops within about three seconds. But I guess the introductions were done. Right. What else is there to do? And then I, I heard a few other recordings and they also sometimes do just sort of mm-hmm. fizzle out very quickly anyway. So it's not that abnormal. I think Elvis himself must have felt that way. And maybe that's why later they all get their own little solos and you get little quick versions of yeah. Early Morning Rain and what I'd say and stuff. School yes, days. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so, next, next track, track. track 15, Hound Dog. Am I the only one who thinks it's slightly strange that this wasn't included back with the other old 50 songs? No, and I think that might be part of why people wondered if things were rearranged so they would fit on the album. Hound Dog, to uh, me, belongs after Love Me Tender, and then maybe the introductions. Yeah. But yeah, Hound Dog feels like it belongs earlier. So another Jerry Lieber, Mike Stoller. We did Hound Dog, they did Love Me, yep. they did Jailhouse Rock too, didn't um, they? They did. 
King Creole. Some songs. Uh, I think they did most of the soundtrack to Loving You and King Creole oh, you could, and Jailhouse There's Rock. a compilation for somebody to make. Single, single album, double album, all the Jerry Lieber, Mike Stoller tracks. Already, already have it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's been around for a while. I was going to say, yeah, Hound Dog, this is another one that, uh, I mean, he performed it probably for the first time on stage in New York in the 50s uh, on television. The way he does it here is yeah. fascinating because he does it exactly opposite how he did it on the Milton Berle show in 1956. On the Milton Berle show, he came out, he sang Hound Dog the normal way. And then at the end, he slows it down and he does this really bluesy kind of bump and grind version oh. of Hound Dog at the very end. And this seems to be the slow bluesy version first. And then for the last couple of lines or last part of the song he does it at the correct sped up tempo um mm. other than that it's a good version hound dog's never been one of my favorite songs i've never understood especially when he does it live why he doesn't do the other lyrics there's a whole other part about they said you were yeah. high class that's just a lie that never does it live i don't know why anyway uh, you know it's hound dog it's good that's that's mm. all <laughs> i mean it starts off we get the what is it i did this on whatever right, show back right, in 1912 right. uh, and then we get the same intro he used a, yeah. a lot it is fun it is a fun opening that you don't know what i'm gonna do yet thing. yeah <laughs> you ain't nothing but uh, you don't know what i'm gonna do oh uh, i think i think we do know oh and i forgot i like that i like that ending too the hup two hup two three four. Oh yeah uh, that like, was cool. and then, like you said we get the slow bluesy version first with all his yes. gong gong percussion yeah. sounds through it, yeah. which is great. Before he comes in with the normal version. Again, Ronnie's insane on the fast parts, as always. Some of those fills, they're just so fast. Yeah. It's just, oh man, you this just can't even... Even when you watch the video of him doing fills that fast, you're like, he's really <laughs> doing that. Look at him. Look how fast yeah. he's going. That's crazy. Oh, and it was just his... We, we know he's mm -hmm. no longer with us, but it was just his birthday oh. very recently. Yeah, Ronnie Tut, I saw mm -hmm. on uh, Twitter. He's on fire during this whole show. He's really incredible. Oh, yeah. But was he never not? Yeah. I mean, I haven't gone looking for it, but it seems like from the first second of every show, he was just at 150%. Yeah. Like from that opening vamp, every show, he was just bonkers. Like, how do you just go from sitting backstage doing absolutely nothing to just turn it on like that? It, it yeah. blows my mind. Like, there's no, you know, maybe he did a warm up, we don't know, but it just seems like he just walks out and just goes and it just blows my mind every time. Yeah, that's most of my notes for the next song, Suspicious Minds, is just Ronnie Tut is going oh, nuts. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's Hound Dog. Yeah, he does the up two, three, four. Okay, great. Track 16. It's Suspicious Minds. Uh, again, in the dark with the headphones, wasn't expecting this for some reason. And I knew he did it live a lot at certain points, certain tours, but it just came and I'm like, oh, wow, this one. Okay. It's a great version of this. I always love it when he does the wah, 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 wah. Yeah. At the end of whatever line. And again, it's just him, whether he's doing his percussion sounds, he just loves throwing these things in there. Just like, I'm just another one of the instruments. Yeah. Look, look what I can do. It's just, it's good. The first chorus, he hits these insane high notes, which again, he didn't always do. Mm -hmm. And again, the same on the second chorus. He just goes right up as high as you can go to sing the start of the chorus. Blew my mind. We do get, which I was really hoping for, the shove it up your nose <laughs> yeah. line. 
uh, he he doesn't Surprise. laugh. He just sort of just goes straight over it. And uh, I don't know if he's hoping no one notices or those that do notice mm-hmm. will get the joke. But he just sang it straight like it was a normal line of the song, which made it even <laughs> funnier to me because he didn't make a joke about it. It was just, uh, it was good. And he says, you know, I'd never lie to you. No, mm-hmm. not much. Again, that's always funny. Not much. Uh, Again, the bass, of course, is great all the way through this. I'll let you talk about Ronnie because it's just insane. I have hardly anything, really. Uh, Only, you know, that Ronnie is just, during the last half of the song, is just nonstop, like a machine drumming. Yeah, I like the, I hope this suit don't tear up, baby. I mean, that's the second time in this show that he's said that line. Yeah, the other one was if this suit weren't too tight. And this is, I hope the suit don't tear up. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. I, I have a note that I wish that there was more depth in the mix, that there's just like the separation is just not there. Everything just sounds like one loud True. noise. Yeah, this song does get pretty, uh, chaotic's not the word, but yeah, it is, mm-hmm. it is noisy because just everything's going, yeah. especially at the end. I mean, you get like the little breakdowns at the end, but when everything is going and the horns and the backing vocals and everything, it yeah. is just noisy. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, it's fine, mm. but it's it's yeah. a lot of noise. Um, but that's sort of a note on most of this whole album. Is it's just a little too much crowd noise and a little too much. The mix, yeah. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, it's it's suspicious minds. It's as good as it's ever been. Mark James. Yeah, that's about it. Right. Right. That's Who the guy. What? Uh, Moody Blue. Yeah, he did a few songs because we've else. we've we've brought him up a few times, and, and yeah, we're definitely. like, oh, he wrote this. He wrote this. Yeah, um, definitely. So there's uh, it's track seventeen. It's for the good times. Another familiar songwriter. Yes, Chris Chris. Christofferson. Uh, I've said this about three times. Wasn't expecting this track. I don't well, know why. Yeah, this is an unexpected track, though. <laughs> like, I he didn't say. perform this yeah. that often either. Again, a couple of tours, it was there, but mm-hmm. it wasn't always there. It's a nice performance. Nothing that blew me away, but it's just a chance for everyone to have a bit of a rest right, after the, right. the last song. I, I don't, yeah, I don't love mm-hmm. this song. It's sort of that sort of just mid-tempo, whatever it is, you know. But but I was happy to have something, again, unexpected for me. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, it's it's like refreshing. Right. I think it's like you said, it's a good catch-your-breath song. Oh, after uh, the, the epic, the, the yeah. last track with everyone just going crazy. Yeah, everyone can just calm down for a few minutes. Yeah, it's another Chris Christopherson song. There's some real weird talking in the beginning. I don't know if it's Joe Gershaw, like maybe talking to the orchestra about what charts they need. But Elvis, Elvis says, for the good times, and then you can hear somebody mumbling for a while before it really gets going. Yeah, Chris Christopherson, it's another song about a guy wanting to sleep with a, a woman for one last time, which seems like a Chris Christopherson theme. <laughs> this one, there's been a studio version of this just sitting on the shelf since March of 1972, and it didn't finally come out until Elf, after Elvis died. Even the album Good Times, they didn't bother to put the song for the good times on it. So for oh, years, wow. this was the only version of Elvis singing this song. This was God. it. Again, we've talked about some ridiculous decisions that have been made, and you just think, what are they even yeah. thinking? They've got the studio <laughs> track, then they release an album with that name and don't put that track on it. It's like, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, it didn't did did they sense. just forget but it had been recorded? Did they lose the tapes? What? It's just like, how do you make such a stupid yeah. mistake? I mean, there had to be there had to be a reason, but geez, looking back, sometimes you're just like, what yeah. happened there? It was finally on the the essential '70s box set in like the '90s, I think. Mm. But I don't have a lot to say about it. It's a it's a nice song. I like it. I like his his version. But he he's catching his breath. He's kind of yeah. in between suspicious minds and and trilogy. He's taking a minute. So so let's go to track 18. It's American mm-hmm. Trilogy. Has there ever been a bad version of this song? No, I don't think so. I'm sure there's slightly lesser than perfect versions, but it seems he just gives it a thousand percent every mm-hmm. single time. 
Like, he knows this ain't hound dog. You're not just going to sleepwalk through this track. You need to give it everything every time. And he does, from what I've heard. Yeah. There's some nice bass all over this. It's always good. The most annoying, oh, you've probably got the same thing. The most annoying yeah. thing is right at the start, where obviously someone in the crowd screams out something and Elvis just goes, what? <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so... It's right. It's It doesn't, it doesn't ruin the song, but it just seems so <laughs> out of place and like... For a song, which I've just said, he takes very seriously and gives it so much. He does that right at yeah. the start. You know, straight after that, he's into the song. But it just really annoyed me right at the start there. I mean, we can't change it now 50 years later. Yeah, but that might be my favorite part. Only oh, because, what? I've, you know, I've heard American Trilogy. We've got it on the next album on Aloha. And, <laughs> but yeah, no, I kind of like that. He's like, look away, look away. What? I mean, if it was if it was one of those other songs, which he all like, if it's you know one of those kiss the girl songs, right. where he's not even bothering with the song half yeah. the time. There, I'm fully expecting him to just be saying shouting yeah. out things like that. But this is the serious. <laughs> this is the big serious sing it right song. And yeah, that just really yeah. well the crowd the crowd noise is just <laughs> so loud on this whole album. I do. I definitely wonder what the New York audience is thinking about this. I mean, he goes into. I wish I wasn't Dixie. They don't know. At this point, I don't know if they know American Trilogy. They just think he's doing I wish I wasn't Dixie. Mm. It's I don't know. This is another one. I was curious to know what why he chose to do it in New York and what what if any trepidation he had about doing it there. But I don't know. Uh, I would I, think that he chose it because it's a sort of serious mm -hmm. song. And it's the perfect song for him to show off his vocals. And if he's there to show New York what he can do, and he's not just yeah, this little yeah. kid doing the rock and roll tracks from the 50s, and it's like, look, I've got this voice and I can do this. This is the right. perfect song to show them because there's an insane vocal yeah. performances that he does with this song. And this is, this is a great song to show them. Oh, it's an incredible song. And it's always, yeah, it's always a showcase. And like you said, there, he doesn't do a bad version. I mean, they're all 150%. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do still wonder because it is such a song about the the southern part of the United States and him being nervous in New York already. I just think it it's an interesting choice. But I don't have very much to say about it. All the versions of it are good. This is no exception. It does have the maybe that is me, what he chose the the funny part in the beginning where he yells what yeah maybe, maybe that's why he chose it to because a lot of these other songs they're pretty standard songs but that song is specifically sort of if this was what he was trying to say it's like yeah I'm 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 this southern boy yeah this Get is used who to I it am. in New York yes. maybe you didn't like me for whatever reason but this this is this is what's going and on and think about how incredible that is that the two songs that he might be making that sort of statement couldn't be more crazily different. The Impossible Dream, which is like this mm. operatic Broadway kind of a thing. And then this, I, I wish I was in Dixie. I mean, it encapsulates the sides of Elvis that a lot of his fans couldn't bring together, you know? Mm. God, they could have been uh, more thought put into this set list than we're given credit for. Or it could just be a total it, accident. It could be. <laughs> I, I, I think Elvis thought about it a lot. Mm. I think he doesn't get enough credit. I think we're giving him credit where it's due probably so but i don't yeah. have much else to say his last note on this is incredible oh. it, it's better than yeah, the, the his ending. last note on yep. this is better than his last note on impossible dream which was incredible but his last note on this is utterly perfect uh yes but yeah i agree so let's go track that's 19 it. oh you know we're getting near the end when this one mm -hmm. comes out it's funny how time slips away it, I don't know. Here's an interesting thing. Tell me if you noticed this. I ha never specifically noticed this on any other version of this song, 
but it might be there. I just haven't been mm-hmm. paying enough attention. This is a fairly standard version. Until the third verse, that's when the bass and drums decide to go, now we're going swing now. And the whole tone of the song changes. Like the bass starts walking all over the place where before it was just doing the standard notes. But then it gets to is this that- third verse. Or is it the third? No, it's the third verse. And it just totally changes. Is that changes. the line, uh, gotta go now? Don't know when I'll... It could be, uh, it could be. Yeah, I, I didn't make a note of the lyric, okay. but from that third verse, the bass and drums just totally change up. And it's just like, oh, they're making it a bit more, it's a bit more funky, a bit more swing, yeah. a bit more something. And it just changes. And it's just like, oh, wow, I haven't noticed that in other versions, but it might be there. But yeah, I just, I really noticed It's probably because it. you can, the bass, as you mentioned, is so prominent on this album. Maybe mm. really But also the drums, mm, like true. Ronnie totally changes like the beat that he's playing check that out. I, and I, it's um it's interesting apart from that i've always loved the little falsetto yeah. note i can't remember what he says i think remember, he says something i loved you no remember what i told you and he on, yeah, on you he just does it yeah, yeah. and perfect every time yeah, and I, we've said this before we hardly ever hear his falsetto even though there seems like there's nothing wrong with it it's mm-hmm. perfectly fine but i think maybe well you don't you don't hear maybe, a lot of falsetto in 70s, you know, when you think about like Tom Jones or Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, it's not the Bee Gees. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's not, but you're right. It, Elvis had this sort of big macho, I'm Elvis. Mm-hmm. I don't think falsetto yeah. really fit into that uh, image very well. So yeah. it's very, so very minimal that we hear it. But when he does it, it's beautiful. It's n- it. perfect note, perfect note, nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, Elvis does not disappoint on this track. Uh, that's all I've got. Uh, yeah. I feel like when he does this song, it's extremely meta. It's, the whole song is about the concert ending mm. and in particular this one well hello there he, well this is right after he tells him to turn the house lights up and then the song yeah. starts so he's he's singing this one with the lights up uh, and he's doing well hello there my it's been a long long time which makes perfect sense for his first show in New York since the 50s and when he gets to the part uh, gotta go now the audience audibly like yells oh. <laughs> so uh, they they get it they get that the song is about them and the show it, yeah it's one of his best versions i love that he hits that high note uh yeah remember what i told you and then he goes really low after that uh right yeah. after that falsetto he hits like a deep bass note it's really great he always changes the line from what was written that in time you're gonna pay to in time it's oh, yeah. gonna be okay yeah. which again is because he knows it's singing it to the audience it's he's changed the meaning yeah, he's not gonna come and murder you but my absolute <laughs> all-time favorite part of this entire concert is at the end of this song let's see when elvis is doing let's see mid around two minutes and 30 he's doing slips right on you know he's doing slips right on slips right on oh oh <laughs> yes yes i know exactly the part you're talking about and at one point he just goes Hmm. I, I reckon what it is, is I don't know. he tried to do the low note, but he couldn't get it for you whatever think? reason. I, uh, I don't think he tried that hard, <laughs> but I think he just, because he was going down and going down. Yeah. And then I think he sort of tried and didn't get anywhere near it. And then he's just like, uh, whatever. And then JD does it. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, uh, it's like my favorite minute. It's really funny. show. I've never heard Elvis make that noise before, but he's just, <laughs> he's doing it and he just goes, uh, and then so like, is he doing that to the bass player to say, no, not that one? Or, or did a, somebody yell something and he's reacting to it? I have no idea. But it, it's one of the funniest moments of the whole show. I think he was surprised at his own voice, not doing what he thought it was going to do. <laughs> and he just went, oh. 
Yeah, because it's really funny. It was awesome. And then, like, within one second, JD does the note. Right, right. Because I reckon he, he would have looked straight at JD yeah. and he would have, like, you do it, I can't do it. And then <laughs> yeah. he does it. Yeah, but it is really funny because it's you expect him, you expect Elvis to do it. That's where it's leading. Yeah. And then it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it is really funny. Yeah, and the way he responds is, yeah, with such yeah. humor, not like he's frustrated. It's He, he finds it yeah, funny, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. But yeah, that's all I have about about that song. Love love that part of it. Okay, track 20, I Can't Stop Loving You. Mm-hmm. Elvis just literally attacks the first <laughs> line, the first word of this song. Yeah. It's just insane. You can just hear the power. Man, that building would have shook crazy. at that. It's just scary. Yeah. Straight away, he's doing the high notes in the start of the chorus. And again, I'm just like, oh, wow, he's really given this mm-hmm. something. Uh, there's great guitar work from James Burton. Amazing end from Elvis. And I'll say it for about the eighth time. He's really showing New York this is the voice that you, you came, yeah. that, that I'm so famous for. Yeah. This is why. In case you didn't know, <laughs> this is why I'm so famous. This voice that I just showed you. And then he does it again. He re- does that like last bit again. Yeah. Just in case they didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, That's all I Yeah, got. I feel the same way, especially when he does this right after Funny How Time Slips Away. It just feels like this last burst of like crazy yeah. primal energy where he just tears through it. I have all the same stuff as you. I, I, he just attacks the song. He rips through it. He sounds incredibly powerful and just in total command of the whole building. And I, I guess maybe like the tiniest bit of disappointment that the little reprise wasn't somehow even better. Uh, but that's that's yeah, asking yeah. too much. Yeah, I think I'm I used did. I'm used yep. to hurt. You know, later when he does those hurt reprises yeah. and that really blows your head off this not quite as much but it's it's fantastic yeah i was i was expecting the second one he's gonna do it even better and then it was pretty much the same or even less and it's just like oh (laughs) i I think between this and the last bit of the last song Mm -hmm. his voice might have been not perfect that night because it seems like Mm -hmm. eh, there's just a few little bits here and there it's like oh that's not what i was expecting and it's it's mostly on the low notes not the high notes which is interesting Yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. what a song. One Night With You is, uh, I love that song. Like, there's some amazing versions of it, and uh, it's a great song. Because, again, he can just scream that song. It's great. Um, so then, track 21, Can't Help Falling In Love. Uh, I think I've said this before. <laughs> As in opposition to American Trilogy, has there ever been a great version of Can't Help Falling In Love? It's always pretty yes. much the same. It's pretty standard. Uh, it's like, this is the last song. You know, up until the last line, he usually gives it something, but it's usually just mm-hmm. pretty standard. I mean, there's not that much he can do with this one anyway. Again, it'd be weird if he just started shouting in the middle of this one. But the last <laughs> yeah. line, he can really belt it out. But yeah, it's, you know, it's two, two and a half minutes. It's the last song, basically. That's it. It's all I got. Yeah. It's interesting that he introduces it as from Blue Hawaii. He doesn't always do that, but eh, it's kind of neat that he yeah, does. I- when he said that, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Because I'm not sure I even yeah. knew that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did it with Love Me Tender, too, mentioning that it was from the movie, which mm, he doesn't yeah, always these stupid include that. New York elites, they don't know anything. I've got to explain everything to them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just reminding them that he made 30-something successful yeah, yeah. movies. But I, it's a good version. It, it's like you said, he kind of takes it a little easy on the earlier verses, he even reminds me a little bit of Dean Martin, the way he does the, the way he'll repeat a line like, uh, sh- should I, should I? Like, I, I don't know. Just he kind of reminds me of a crooner. Yeah. But it's the ending when he when he steps into that big, powerful voice again, where it's just like, 
you know, screw you, I own the room. <laughs> this, I'm Elvis. Yeah. And you can just picture him with the cape and the arms raised and, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great ending. It's it's the way most Elvis shows end with Ken Falling in Love. <laughs> okay, so it's well, technically the last track. It's the end theme, the closing vamp, 55 seconds. Mm-hmm. One last chance for Ronnie to just go absolutely <laughs> mental and uh, earn his pay that night. Oh, it's always good. I yeah. like how it sort of always ends with that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a it's such a comical <laughs> end to like an amazing hour of Elvis and it ends with like something from a yeah. cartoon. It always makes me laugh when it ends that way. Sometimes it just sort of fades out on the recordings. Right, right, right. Sometimes it sort of peters out and doesn't do that. But occasionally they do this little end and it's just always funny to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of Monty Python-esque. That's always funny. Yeah, I don't know. And Elvis has left the building. Yeah, I didn't realize how long this goes on. I don't think I ever listened to this whole thing. Until oh, yeah. Now, about all the souvenirs and stuff. Don't forget, you can get your signed posters for 50 cents and $1. And he just lists like thing after thing after thing. And it's like, man, yeah. it's just crazy. It's the just only crazy. thing that would be better is if that was Colonel Parker's voice himself trying to sell us oh. $2 posters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I did hear <laughs> some criticism in, in some of those reviews about like before the show and the after the show that they were just like hawking these souvenirs and that it really had a carnival kind of Colonel Parker vibe to the whole presentation. I did hear some criticism yeah. about that. Yeah, that doesn't but, sort of happen anymore. Now when you go to a right. concert, like, yeah, this, there's a merch stand, but it's not like announced, especially exactly. after the show. Yeah. It's like, go and spend some more money now. Yeah, I know. But yeah, that is a very a very uh, Colonel Parker vibe, yeah. isn't it? It's like, we know we've got your $7, but you're going to give us yeah. a few more. Well, you can bet that had to literally be Colonel Parker talking to somebody being like, listen, after the show, you need to announce that we're selling these things because yeah you know that's where parker's making his money because if you don't you're not getting paid right (laughs) i just saw tickets for this there were five dollars seven fifty and ten dollars and it's just like oh man what i wouldn't give to go and pay ten dollars to see elvis it just i mean yeah yeah, maybe that's like fifty dollars now but that's still cheap and especially considering look at the number of people he had on stage like you can go and see some current like I don't know, rap artists, mm. where it's literally them and like a DJ and a couple of dancers. There's like five people on <laughs> right. stage and you're paying $300 to see them. Yeah, tickets Elvis are had all the band, what, uh, five, mm. six, seven of them, mm. another four or five backing singers, an orchestra, the strings, yeah. you know, it's just insane to think the number of people on stage yeah. and tickets were $10. Yeah. It just makes you think, what is going on these well, days? even in the 80s, I mean, I paid $15 to see Prince and then I, and then wow, I think 17 yeah dollars uh, later in 1988 for the love sexy tour and wow. that makes sense you know that from 1972 okay ten dollars to see elvis 1982 yep. an extra five bucks uh, that makes sense but now it's going insane and i don't yeah i don't know why well yeah i mean the first real concerts i went to that i can remember the prices were probably the early 90s like maybe 92 93 mm-hmm. and i don't think even then there was anything under about Forty or fifty dollars. Oh, wow. So it was about then, I think, when it really started. Like I think when stage production really started to go crazy was like the early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. They really ramped it up, and then so did the prices. Yeah. And then like sense. the last time we saw Prince on stage in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. it was literally him and his sound tech. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, Scotty left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoever was there. Mm-hmm. 
and they were four hundred dollars for one guy yeah. on a stage. So yeah, you talk about prices being crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Elvis was definitely you never heard any sort of price gouging regarding Elvis tickets, or I mean, you might have had scalpers and stuff. But uh, Elvis never was accused of being greedy mm. for the most part. Yeah, that was part the Colonel's job. Yeah. Well, Elvis, Elvis didn't, he wasn't so, bothered with all the sort of finance. He didn't care about no. that. He just wanted to get on stage really. and do his do his thing. Yeah. And Colonel Lair was to case. make that um, happen and make money at the same time. As, mm-hmm. as, as much as we like or dislike the way he did those things. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, that's that track. Okay, we're done with the track. Let's do the, our outro, our conclusion. Like I said earlier, this album doesn't seem that well appreciated amongst the general fans. We came down to, it's probably the sound, you know, the mixing of it. But yeah, I think it is. It's fine. It's not great, but it's mm-hmm. it's good enough for, again, something that's about 50 years old. I think it's okay. Yeah, I think as a performance, Elvis is, if we were only talking about his performance, it's better than great. Mm. It's, oh, it's, it's better than it's a lot of shows insane. out there, yeah. I mean, I think it's phenomenal. I think it is one of his... Because the recording I don't love, it's hard to, you know, you know what I mean? It's not my favorite yeah, it, concert, it, it brings but it, it might down. be my favorite performance. It's one it of those. Like, I would it. rather listen to the one recorded in Memphis because it sounds better. Yeah. So that's the only critique I have, or the only negative. But otherwise, this show is a huge triumph for Elvis, personally. The next album and the next big thing was Aloha from Hawaii, uh, which ends up overshadowing this album. But this this is mm. a better concert to me by far than the Aloha from Hawaii one. I think this concert has way more energy. It has less songs, but uh, mm. but in general, I enjoyed this more as a concert. Because, yeah, Aloha was than, well, less than Aloha, a year later. Probably. Yeah, it's the next album. I mean, it, yeah. it is the very next album released by Elvis. And it has some repetition. True, true. It's, it's weird, his albums, you know, the way they were releasing them in the 70s. Really throughout his career. Yeah. So. I mean, this album, I'm not that bothered by the sound quality. And I usually am. So that's, mm. a, that's a weird thing. I think the performance more than makes up for mm. the, the not great mixing here and there. So I'm not that bothered by yeah. it. I mean, it's got its flaws. So does, so does every album. You know, mm. the Colonel's always going to find some way to do something stupid every time. And he usually <laughs> did. But this seems pretty good. Well, like, yeah. like, again, except for the hawking all the souvenirs at the end. That didn't need to be on the album. <laughs> no, I don't know why they... The well, stupid thing about that's... that is that mm-hmm. only applies to people who were at that show. Right. But I don't think that was on the original album. I think that's I on think, the... I uh, think, yeah. On yeah the, it's the, on the uh, Prince from Another Planet. planet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it does fade on the original. Yeah. There's it, no I way. mean, it is cool to hear it, <laughs> but yeah, it's... um. It is just yeah. funny. At the time, it would have been too much, but yeah. for historical purposes now, it's a cool thing to include. But I've actually heard old, oh, I don't know when they were from, but like we said that Jackie Kahane opened this show and didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of old Elvis shows which have like the comedian at the start. And it is mm-hmm. really funny to listen to. Like just, I mean, the style of comedy has changed so much. And these guys yeah. who were opening for Elvis, oh man. If you ever find it, go and listen to it because they are, they're really funny, but maybe not in the way they intended. Like you're listening, like what they're saying is not funny, but just, just the fact that they're even there. And I know a lot of, you know, Vegas shows opened, a lot of musicians had a comedian open for them, like Sinatra and a whole bunch of people did it. But it's just, it's, it's weird to actually hear because it's not something that I'd heard before. Yeah. Well, again, one of the reviews I read at the time definitely complained that the atmosphere before Elvis came out had already kind of gone downhill because they didn't like the comedian. They didn't love the gospel music. Mm. The hawking of souvenirs made it feel cheap somehow. 
but then once the show started and Elvis was on stage, everything was perfect. Yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah, that comes down, I think, a lot to Colonel Parker's attitude that Elvis was kind of a, a carnival Yeah, but you know, you know, an interesting you know? thing. I just went and saw Dave Chappelle only a few weeks uh-huh. ago and his shows very much have that carnival aspect to it. So strangely, like 50 years on, it's mm-hmm. like coming back in style, I guess, because it's not, it's not just a Dave Chappelle show. He literally brings mm-hmm. out, there's like a DJ. There's, it yeah. starts off with a DJ playing music. And that's basically just the updated version of what was going on at this show. There's a yeah. DJ and then there's like literally four support acts that they all come out and do their like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then, then there's the, like the main attraction. It's that same sort of vibe. It's, and it's really, I mean, that, different. It's a comedian, not a, yeah. a musical act, but it's, it's very similar. And I haven't experienced that sort of uh, vibe. And I see a lot of comedy and I guess mm-hmm. this is maybe, you know, it's a big American act. So that's yeah. the way that they do it now. But I have never yeah. seen it like that before. And it was really unexpected, I'll say. Yeah. Well, interesting. Well, again, this is Elvis playing New York in 72. This vibe, you know, when he's playing Baton Rouge is a lot different, mm. uh, a different crowd, you know. So maybe the New York, I, I I don't know. Yeah. The fancy New York elites thought they were too sophisticated to sit through a, a stand-up comedian and, a, a, well, and an opening act. That yeah. particular comedian. But he was there for a, a he did a lot of Elvis know. shows, that guy. Yeah, no, he did. And I haven't even listened to him, so I don't even know what he's like. Uh, I'll, I'll never be able to find it find because it. I, I don't think, think I it was labeled. Like. I just turned up on a few random shows. But Yeah, I think th- I have. They are out there. A bootleg for sure that has the that because I remember skipping it. Because <laughs> you've got the opening comedian and then you've got two, three tracks from, you know, the, the Imperials or the, yeah. the Stamps, whoever's there. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to hear because that's, you know, generally, if I yeah. mean, unless you've gone back to bootlegs, mm-hmm. you're not hearing that stuff. That's not out on any official Elvis products that I've heard. No. And I wonder if that comedian himself has some... I mean, comedians have albums. I wonder if he has any. I might have to check that if out. If you're supporting Elvis Presley, you're not a nobody. I, I don't even know where he came from, like how he got hired, or I don't know if this is Elvis's call. Oh, or... no, he probably would have been like the cousin of uh, some mate <laughs> of uh, Colonel Parker. And he, he, he paid him really cheap, but he did it for the exposure. Wouldn't surprise me if there was, Something. you know, a, sto- a sto- good story behind that one. Yeah. Anyway, what else can we say about this show? It sold very well. The album sold very well. It's got a good range of songs. Mm-hmm. It's got the new, the old, the slow, the fast. What what more can you ask for? Well, apparently yeah. a lot more, according to the New York critics. Well, no, 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 no. That's not true. See, the critics did love him. I mean, all the critics loved him in New York. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, but no, the critics did. I mean, this was, by all accounts, a massive success. Like you said, it, it sold out. Critics went Every crazy. Seat. Yeah, yeah. I'm just picking on a couple of small remarks about like his doing Impossible Dream, and how you know George Harrison and and John Lennon were disappointed because he didn't do rock music. The big picture is it was a huge success, but I don't know if Elvis focused on the negative the way I am. He might have. I think that's. I think he probably did. I think he. I don't I, know. I think critical things hurt him more than praise. Oh, but that's uh, always the case. Yeah, but it is. whether you get like affected by that, like I've heard people like um, David Letterman and Craig Ferguson say things. Mm. You know, they're doing a nightly late night show, mm-hmm. and you know, not every night's great. And sometimes you finish yeah. your show and you're like, well, that wasn't very good. Well, guess well there's another show tomorrow so right. how how long you want to dwell on a critical review of something that you've done literally thousands of times yeah but elvis i mean i know from interviews with somebody like ann margaret 
that Elvis definitely had a thing where he knew there was a, some people who were never going to take him seriously, and it did bother him. And mm. these, I mean, this set of shows at Madison Square Garden is an event in his life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he does millions of shows all over, but this is a, a specific event. And so it was definitely in his head that these are the people who don't want to take him seriously, who, who probably won't ever take him seriously. And so he felt he had something to really prove. And he did win over the critics, but there's always going to be some who don't. You know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he only had to look back afterwards at the, the record sales and all the great reviews to see, yeah. okay, that was generally by most people considered a big success. Yeah, there was some a few idiots, but there's always going to be. I think if he went to New yeah. York where he knew a lot of people weren't going to take him seriously and then it ended up most of them did take him seriously, uh, I think generally you'd have to take that as a win and not focus too much on the, the couple of negative reviews that happen. Right. It, it's just that, I mean, he, he won over all the critics. It was a win, but his fellow contemporary musicians still seem to look down. Yeah. So again, I, I don't want to thrust my own negativity onto what is a huge win, but oh, there's always, there's always going to be some. Yeah. Well, it, like I said, in light of some recent things, some backlash, some stuff, I, I just feel like there's still that exact same group of sort of snobs in New York. Who don't take LA, it seriously. Yeah. Who are just Elvis will always be a joke no matter what. Yeah. But uh, again, I think that's why Elvis, why it feels so defiant when he's singing Impossible Dream, why you mm. hear it in his voice that this is like, again, it feels defiant and I don't even know why because nobody thinks he should be singing this and he's going to sing it better than anybody's ever freaking done it. Mm. And, and I feel like he could walk away from that. I don't care if I didn't win these people over because I know that that was an incredible performance. And yep. even though I do think it bothered him that he couldn't win some people over, he still could walk out. I mean, it's not like he's walking out in oh, shame. Yeah. I mean, he won. He, you know, but that, that's all. He walked off stage. He killed them all. Good. Almost all. <laughs> he did. <laughs> That'll do. Pretty this nice. has been um, just like, <laughs> how many times have we said, oh, we haven't got much to say about this one? Yeah. And then it's just an, an insanely long show. This is the, for no particular this reason. This is the longest It could so be. Okie dokie. Well, that's um, as recorded at Madison Square Gardens mm -hmm. by Elvis Presley. You know the guy. He's the famous guy we're all talking about. Yeah. Um, there was a movie about Yeah. <laughs> Didn't win any Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're never going to forget that, are you? <laughs> no, I... It's what we should have expected. Hollywood yeah. didn't take Elvis seriously when he was alive, and they don't take him seriously now. Yeah. But I got a real chip on my shoulder about <laughs> people not liking Silly, Elvis. silly people. What yeah. are they doing? What are well, we covering next? We've got the main Aloha show to do because mm -hmm. we did the we did the alternate Aloha. Is that right? Uh, that again, right. some time ago. I've forgotten most of it. You've also put together a list of a whole bunch of singles which were not on albums. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think it's only about thirteen tracks, so it's about the length of an album. Oh well, that's that's a good length yeah. for a oh, show okay. anyway. So yeah, that'll be the next two things. After that, we I don't think we've quite decided what's after that, but uh, we'll figure we, that out. We could go back and do uh, we could do Elvis's live. 1960 recording that would be weird to cover a concert from 1960 possibly if you wanted to do a live show there is uh like a full there's not a lot of full recordings from that early but there is no. one from 60 and he didn't do another live Ooh, show until 68 so it's kind of a 
Yeah, and FTD just put out one with better sound. So it's, yeah, it might be a good one. I know you like the live stuff, and I like the earlier stuff. We'll figure that out. Uh, If you've got any ideas what you want us to do after we've finished, well, we've basically done all of the 70s now. Yeah, send us an email at elvisreviewspodcast at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure that's correct. We're also on Twitter, Elvis Reviews. And that's about it. That's all we've got. This has been a long show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. Thank you for Bye. listening. Uh, as always, yes. we'll be back next time. Mm-hmm. That's all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody. Elvis has left the building. <laughs>